Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. Glad to have you with me. The phone number 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, I, I, I want to answer a question. I've gotten a ton of emails from the last segment. Uh, nationwide, wherever you are, uh, you are more likely than not aware of a consent decree in the state of Georgia uh, prior to the 2020 election that uh, Trump supporters have long maintained was uh, emboldened the Democrats to commit voter fraud in Georgia. And they blame Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger in Georgia for entering into a consent decree with Stacey Abrams' Fair Fight Georgia uh, that allowed the stealing of the election. That is, it's not only a, a gross distortion of what happened, it's actually not true. There's never been a consent decree. There was no consent decree. None did not exist. There was a court case, and so I want to give everybody the history here. Uh, that you know, you can have your truth, and your truth isn't necessarily true. You may think that uh, your pronouns are G and and bleu, but uh, if you're a boy, you're a boy. If you're a girl, you're a girl. I don't care what your truth is. Reality is different, and the reality here is there was never a consent decree. I uh, don't care what you believe. Uh, people believe stupid things all the time and not true things. There was never a consent decree. What there was, was a lawsuit. So let me, let me explain this one to you. I'm, I'm shocked by, I've talked about this before, but you know, I, I talk about it and move on and people weren't around at the time. So here's what happened. There are two sections of the law in Georgia and full disclosure, I was an elections lawyer, familiar with these provisions in the election code. There are two provisions of the election code in Georgia. One, gives a list of things that must be on absentee ballots. And if they are not put there by the voters, the ballots must be rejected. Most importantly, it is the signature. If you if you do not sign your absentee ballot, uh, it must be rejected. Now they've changed the law and it's your driver's license number. You have to put your driver's license number on. If you don't have your driver's license or state ID number on, the ballot has to be rejected. There's not a may be rejected. It is a must. It shall be rejected. There is a second other section of Georgia law that allows the Secretary of State to request additional information. One of those bits of information is the birth date of the voter. That section of law, however, does not say that if they fail to put this information on, you can reject the ballot. So there's one statute, there's one law that says, here are the things that must be on the ballot from the voter, and if they're not there, the ballot must be rejected. And then there's a completely separate section of the law, several a separate statute, several pages over in the Georgia Code that says you can ask for other information if you want. And the Secretary of State asked for birth date. But that, that law does not say you can toss the ballot if the voter fails to provide it. The, the big thing is the signature. If a signature is not there, it must be rejected. If the voter fails to put their birth date on, you can't reject it. Well, the Secretary of State's office re, uh, interpreted the laws together and said, if, if this information has to be here uh, and it's not, I can reject it. And we also want this information. And if it's not here, I can reject it. The Stacey Abrams group, Verify Georgia, sued the state of Georgia and said, look, there are two actual separate laws. One has mandatory information. One has optional information. They are tossing ballots based on the optional information. 
and the judge agreed. And the judge was prepared to throw out the entirety of Georgia's absentee ballot regime. And Raffensperger wound up settling the case with Fair Fight Georgia, agreeing to stop rejecting ballots that didn't have a birth date on them, and otherwise preserving the current process by which absentee ballots are handled. That's it. That's all there ever was. He agreed to stop rejecting ballots if they did not have a birth date on them. That's that's the actual lawsuit. Not nearly as sexy as what you've been told, is it? Uh, and I know what you've all been told, and consent decree and all of that, and none of it's true. And this, listen, this is the, the benefit of truth. You don't have to believe me. You can go get the lawsuit yourself uh, in Fulton County, uh, Fairfight, Georgia versus Georgia, state of Georgia and Georgia Secretary of State's office. You can go see it for yourself. You, you don't have to have me tell you what it is and, and believe or not believe. So many people have been spoon-fed the information, uh, provided in some cases actually fake documents that show a consent decree, and it's simply not true. There never was a consent decree. This is one of the great problems the left and the right together have these days is that none of you have time to do research. So you rely on other people to do the research for you. It's like the 2000 mules thing. Um, you, you rely on it. It seems very compelling to you. You, you don't know what you don't know. They provide you all of this information. It sounds very informed. And so, for example, in Georgia, you know, uh, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation wanted all of this data from the folks, uh, claiming that cell phone data showed patterns of illegal activity. They never got it. They asked for it. They didn't get it. They got some stuff and what they, they got didn't show the patterns that were claimed, didn't show the evidence that were claimed. Uh, this, When you claim that there is evidence of a crime, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, which for those of you outside of Georgia is the FBI for the state of Georgia, uh, they should not have to demand you hand over the documents. If you're claiming there's a crime, you should be willing to show the information you have. And, and that wasn't the case at all. So you've got the manufactured grievance that, look, we have all of this information and no one took it seriously. And they don't and they completely willfully leave out the other part of the story of and we refuse to hand it over to them. Look, um, there's another problem here. I'm fully willing to concede ballot harvesting happened in Georgia. I know it happened. It always happens. It's happened in every election. But there are two things. One. Uh, if you can't prove it before the election, you can't stop those ballots from being counted. And once counted, you can't uncount. Once you've added ballots into the system, you can't pull those ballots back out once they've been allowed into the system. And the votes are, the, they, the votes are legal. The collection method is illegal. Those people go to jail. The votes, there's no evidence the votes are fraudulent if they've been verified in the way you're supposed to verify them. There actually are rules here. This is one reason, by the way, why I urge every single person listening to go learn how to be a poll worker. Learn the system. I do not know a person who believed the 2020 election was stolen, who then became a poll worker and still believes the election was stolen. And that's remarkable to me. I know a number of people who believed the 2020 election in Georgia was stolen, decided they were going to stop it in 2022. 
So they went and became poll workers in their neighborhoods. They learned how to operate the polls for their county. They learned how to open. They learned how to close. They learned how to process. They learned all of that and suddenly realized all the things they were told were signs of vote fraud were actually a legitimate part of the process or were misinterpreted to sound nefarious when they weren't. Education matters, but I, I can't blame people for trying to rely on good sources. I would just note how many people got played in this situation. Uh, there never was a consent decree, and people get fired up about it, but there never was a consent. You cannot find a consent decree. It did not exist. It was a settlement in lieu of litigation uh, because the Secretary of State's office lost the court case uh, in front of a judge, uh, and there's that's that's the story. I wish it was sexier than that, but it's not. Um, I will say this. You do have to be vigilant in your vote. And I, a, a correspondent telling me that their, their frustration with Raffensperger is actually that uh, he wasn't aggressive enough in pushing back on stuff uh, and, and discrediting the lies. And, yeah, there's, there's something to be said for that. But also, when everyone's out to get you already and you're kind of shell-shocked and overwhelmed and you're just trying to actually do your job, uh, a lot of times we fall under the notion, all of us do, that the truth will set us free. You, you, we say this all the time. It's, it's something that's been said um, for, for centuries, for millennia. The truth will set us free. It's biblical. The truth will set you free. And we just presume that's the case. But at this point in our day and age, there are well-orchestrated operations to lie to you and discredit what the truth actually is. And it becomes hard sometimes. I get hell from people all the time, unmitigated hell from people, for telling them what the truth is. But because five other people have told them the lie, I'm the liar, even though I'm telling you the truth. All I can do is tell you what the truth is and correct myself when I get it wrong. So that I at least have the credibility, and you very rarely will you find people in this business who want to correct themselves regularly. If I get it wrong, I try to tell you I got it wrong because I think that helps long-term with credibility. It becomes more and more difficult these days to do a job like this where people just want to be told what they want to hear. It's the hardest aspect of this job today is how do you maintain a relationship with people who don't want to be told the truth, they want to be told what they want to hear. And we're in a morally relativistic age where what's good for you may not be good for someone else and, and uh, both sides want to impose on the other without any discussion of what really is good and true. We're in an age where people say my truth, my truth, your truth, and they can be completely different things and one of them clearly is not true, but also we're in an age where nuance doesn't matter. There are things that are true, but there are nuances to it. There are exceptions to the rule. The left is very famous for doing that, where they take the exception to the rule and declare this is the new rule. All police are bad and we must defund the police because there are occasionally bad police officers. They are the exception to the rule, but because they are the exception, now they're the rule for the left. Welcome to postmodernism, folks, where the truth doesn't matter. Uh, what matters are your emotions. I feel instead of I think. We've lost the ability to reason. Margaret Atwood wrote that uh, awful book, The Handmaid's Tale. It really is a garbage book. Yes, I have read that book twice. Not by choice. I had a professor in college 
who made me read it for class. And I hated the class and I had to read it. But for a time, I actually thought the professor was pretty decent. I didn't know any better and had another class with the professor and had to read the damn book again. It's awful. It is a garbage book. Uh, the people who like that book are the people who stick forks in electrical sockets and eat boogers. Uh, it is, it's just, it's not a good book. And the people who read it and think it's true or, or insightful or have an emotional reaction to it are typically not very bright people. And they're all feminists on the left who are very angry. And, and they, they believe this stuff. Margaret Atwood has an op-ed out today saying that I created Gilead. That's the oppressive dystopian future America. And now the Republicans in Supreme Court are bringing it to life. You know what? If they were bringing it to life, Margaret Atwood, uh, you wouldn't be able to tweet. If they were really bringing it to life, uh, you'd be, well, you wouldn't even be in a chastity belt. You would be up in the Arctic somewhere where we don't have to deal with you anymore. The, the, the people in their red robes walking past houses pretending they're handmaidens, they'd be in jail. And yet there are people who really believe this stuff. There are people who, because we live in emotional postmodern times, they want to be hysterical. You know, I, I, the other day I was talking about this, this uh, Dobbs case stuff and the emotional reaction to it and said, I, it's not about me wanting to control women's bodies. Have you seen some of these people? Uh, nobody wants to even go near them, let alone control them. And they're having this, this emotional reaction to the thought they won't be able to kill their kid. I mean, they're not even going to get pregnant, half these people, when you look at them. And, and they're so over the board with it. I'm, I'm finally, maybe we do need to reconsider the 19th Amendment. They're nuts. Well, of course, something I was saying sarcastically was treated as very serious by these people. And then they came after advertisers like, you shouldn't advertise with him. He wants to take away my right to vote. No, I don't want to take away your right to vote. I just think you're an idiot. People will believe whatever they want to believe. And the people who are the bad guys these days are the truth tellers because nobody wants to be told the truth. They just want to be placated and affirmed because we have become emotional children as a society. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425 should you wish to be on the program. Uh, it, it's remarkable the tone deafness of people on the left when it comes to the formula shortage. Now, there are a couple of things we got to keep in mind about the formula shortage. One, it's actually... Um, modern formula. There are old wives formulas from the 60s and 70s that aren't quite like modern formula. Modern formula is actually more difficult to make for some reason, and I do not know why, um, the FDA refuses to allow in European formula. Now, for some perspective here from cheese, do you know uh, you can't get unpasteurized Parmesan in the United States? You can't get it. You have to import from Italy. Uh, Parmigiano Reggiano is Parmesan from the um, region of Italy, and it is unpasteurized. And it has a completely different, noticeably different flavor than American Parmesan, which actually tends to taste saltier. You can't get, uh, you can't legally make uh, Italian Parmesan in the United States because of the pasteurization processes the FDA requires. Uh, there are a lot of things the FDA will not allow in this country. Or um, oh, what are the Kinder Snacks? You, you can't get real ones in this country because the FDA is so hyper-protective. 
Or, I mean, this is the FDA that still doesn't want you to eat raw cookie dough. I, I eat raw. We, we will buy the Nestle Toll House cookie dough and, and never make the cookies in our house. We eat the raw cookie dough. We'll make cookie dough or brownie batter and eat the brownie batter of the cookie dough. And the FDA says, oh, my gosh, you're going to die. At some point, the nanny statism of the FDA makes the situation worse. They were slow to react, slow to move forward. But also, in fairness, it is difficult to produce modern baby formula. And they have sped up the processes. They're trying to get up to efficiencies, and, and there will be hoarding, but it seems like we should be allowing the importation of European formula into this country. But the FDA, the same people who want to allow us to make real Parmesan cheese in this country, uh, won't allow the importation of baby formula from Europe because it doesn't meet our standards. Just garbage. Um, it's not like Europeans are dying every day from spoiled baby formula. The paranoid among us control the FDA. Our government needs reform. Now, the private sector is really to blame for the problems. Abbott, apparently, the, the major producer of these uh, formulas, tried to cover up some safety and sanitation issues. Uh, several babies lost their lives as a result. Formula had to be recalled for contamination. Uh, but the government certainly can exacerbate problems, even if the government doesn't make the problems. And this looks to be a case where the government has, in fact, done this. And by the way, it's not very helpful for progressives to tell women just go on and breastfeed because many women can't. And yet that's what they're doing in their response. Sad. Hello, it is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you want to be on the program. We have mentioned in the past and talked about in the past the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. That's, that's the name of what you experience. Um, you have had this situation, all of you, have had this situation, and this is what Bader-Meinhof is. It's a situation where you hear something, obscure data or a word you've never heard before, and you remember it, you hang on to it, you, you learn the definition of the word you've never heard before, and then you see and hear it crop up over and over and over and over again. And you're like, how is it I'm just now paying attention to this? You, you've never noticed it before. You've never seen it before. Or, or you've driven past a house, the same house, and you drive past it every single day. And suddenly you realize there's something about the house you've never noticed before, and now you can't unsee it. It's very similar to synchronicity, uh, the experience of having a, a meaningful coincidence. Like uh, somebody telephones you, gives you a call while you're thinking about them. He's like, well, that's weird. I was just thinking about you. That actually happened to me this morning. I was uh, picking up my phone to call Philip right as Philip was calling me. It was a synchronicity. That's what it is. Uh, it, it almost seems like it's destined. There's a destiny there. I was thinking about somebody yesterday and got a text message from him. I was like, well, that's odd. I literally was just praying for this person, and, and they uh, texted me. And Bader-Meinhof and synchronicity together are what a lot of conspiracy theorists use to advance conspiracy theories. They make you aware of something, some detail you may not have been aware of before that is premised in truth. 
and then they amplify and magnify out from that their conspiracies. There's one I bet you're all familiar with. Did you know there has been an alarming number of soccer players around the world who, after having gotten the COVID vaccine, dropped dead on the field or elsewhere? And an alarming number of children in this country have had cardiac events with COVID and the COVID vaccine. Did you know? I bet every single one of you have heard this. If you've heard, if you haven't heard the soccer player one, you've heard the other one. If you've heard the the child cardiac one, you may not have heard the soccer player one. But a lot of you know both of them. And these are two of the conspiracy theories around the COVID vaccine, uh, and they're not actually true. For they they take kernels of truths and stories and they magnify. For example, there had been a couple of soccer players in the in the world who had gotten the COVID vaccine and then died thereafter. And it was taken by conspiracy theorists to tie the two together. And none of them were actually tied together. There was one that may have actually been myocarditis undetected. The others were completely unrelated to anything. One was actually a guy who was killed in a car wreck. But they say now, and I've heard even politicians in this country say, did you know there have been 700 soccer players killed this year after getting the COVID vaccine? It's actually not true. But there have been several soccer players who died. And by the way, typically more than 200. Did you? I didn't know this one. This is your Bader-Meinhof point of the day. There are typically between 200 and 300 soccer players every year who die on the field in the middle of a game. Globally, heat stroke, heart attack, injury, two to 300 worldwide. It's way more than I would have expected. It's soccer, after all. It's not like it's American football. I mean, I thought they were, I mean, they they, they probably wouldn't actually die, except the refs think they must be faking it, and, and then they don't move. They're like, oh, we better go check on this guy. By then, it's too late. It just, two to 300 a year before COVID. And so they take these, and then they amplify the numbers. Oh, it's COVID. It's the vaccine. He died because of the vaccine. And this is better mind off. You've heard the story. Now, suddenly, you're very mindful of another soccer player has died. It must be the COVID vaccine. And, and it's just conspiracy theories taking advantage of the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon to tell you something. There's another one you're probably aware of. Did you know there's been a wave of food processing facilities that have caught fire in the United States this year? Food processing facilities. It's been on Fox News has done something on this. You know, in, in Georgia, um, one of the stories was a plane crashed into a General Mills food processing facility. Actually, it didn't. Uh, there's a municipal airport right by the food processing facility, and a plane on takeoff crashed, uh, never actually um, hit the factory. Tucker Carlson highlighted that one in a story. Uh, there were a number of uh, news outlets. Let's see, on, on February 5th, a fire swept through the Wisconsin River Meats Factory in Mauston, Wisconsin, destroying part of the facility. Uh, the Shearer's Food Plant in Hermiston, Oregon, caught fire after a propane boiler exploded on March on February 22nd. On March 17th, the structure fire at a Walmart distribution center in Plainsville, Indiana, broke out around noon March 17th. A 1,000 employees were inside. None were injured. March 22nd, a fire broke out at a Nestle Hot Pocket plant in Jonesboro, Arkansas. March 25th, officials believe a deep frying machine set fire to a potato processing facility. 
Uh, April 13th, firefighters from several departments in Maine helped battle a massive plant at a butcher shop and meat market in Center Conway, New Hampshire. And April 30th, the soybean processing tank caught fire at Purdue Farms in Chesapeake, Virginia. And so all of these have been starting to to weave together and on addition to the April 22nd uh, plane crash in Covington, Georgia on April 14th, a plane crashed into an Idaho potato and food processing plant, killing the pilot at the Jim State Processing. And all of this is being woven together by people on the internet. They've heard about one, and now Bader Meinhof kicks in. Oh, my gosh, it's another food processing facility. Hey, do you know how many manufacturing and food processing facilities in the country have fires every year? Every year, on average? Do you have any idea? Because the number's there. I found the number. 5,300. 5,300. Every year, 5,300 on average manufacturing and production facilities in this country catch fire. And the conspiracy theorists are highlighting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine to suggest there's a pattern and arson's involved. Now, in none of these cases, by the way, has arson or terrorism or vandalism been shown. Uh, they're accidental fires, and there are 5,300 a year in these facilities. Now, um, that's about 440 per month. Coast to coast. Now, not all those, I should say, actually, the 5,300 are food processing and manufacturing, but processing and manufacturing. A significant number every year are um, are food processing facilities. And, you know, the Walmart distribution center, it's not really a food processing or distribution center, but it was counted. Uh, the New Hampshire fire was a butcher, butcher shop, but it's been included in the list. Um, and are you really going to target if you're a terrorist, the hot pockets facility in, in, in Arkansas, if anything, you want Americans to keep eating hot pockets. Trust me. Look at the, <laughs> look at the contents on the back, man. I used to eat this. I used to eat hot pockets all the time. Nonetheless, you get my point. You've heard about this. You've heard about it. And the conspiracy theorists take the big story. You've heard of one story. It makes national news. And so then they start taking others and say, did you hear about this one? Did you hear about this? It must be part of a pattern. It must be part of a plot. You know what you haven't heard about that actually is real is the number of railroad tracks in the country that have been sabotaged in the past couple of years. Uh, there have been four or five, not 5,300. There have been four or five. But in every one of them, it has been environmentalists who have been caught or suspected of sabotaging the, the train lines because they're carrying oil. But uh, whether it's the soccer players dying on the field or it's the uh, food processing facilities of America being torched, these conspiracy theorists take advantage of your familiarity with one big story. And then they extrapolate out their conspiracy theory. Now, you will notice, you will notice, to begin with, I highlighted two of the more common conspiracy theories right now on the right. But there's one on the left that deserves even more emphasis. I set the stage with the two you're most familiar with, but there's one on the left that's gaining steam. And you've probably heard of this one. 
because it's taken off in the news. The news media has gravitated towards this conspiracy theory, and the progressives in the Democratic Party are amplifying it. Did you know manufacturers and oil producers are taking advantage of you and profiteering off the global supplies? That's right. Claiming that it's greed, that the inflation in the country is caused by greedy manufacturers, producers, and corporations jacking up prices on your hardship, and that's what's causing it. Elizabeth Warren and the progressives in Congress are the chief advocates of this idea that uh, it's profiteering off of your hardship, profiteering off the supply chain woes, and that's why prices have gone up. That's why gas prices keep going up. Now, you, you know, one of the things they said, for example, when Joe Biden released all that oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, the price of a barrel of oil fell immediately and the price of a gallon of gas did not. Aha, it's profiteering. But actually, if you follow historically in this country, prices are quick to go up and slow to go down because they're trying to minimize volatility. It's always happened. But you are uniquely, Bader Meinhof, uniquely aware of the situation right now because it's in the news so much. And so the left seizes on this and says, look, 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 look. The prices went up really fast and they're not coming down, but the price of a barrel of oil went down. They're profiteering. No, this is always the pattern because they're trying to minimize the ups and the downs and the wild swings. They take their time. They level off. And the media will call out the conspiracy theorists of the right. The media is quick to tell you you're a conspiracy theorist. The media is quick to tell you whether it's election fraud or COVID or uh, the, the supply chain issues. The media is real quick to tell you you're buying conspiracy theories. The problem is the media buys into the conspiracy theories of the left. There are lots of people on the left now who believe that profiteering is to blame for high prices. It has nothing to do with the economy. It has nothing to do with real inflation. It has everything to do with profiteering. In fact, one of the things that they point to, interestingly enough, is that there's inflation all over the world, but it's higher here than elsewhere. And they use that as proof. Well, it must be the greedy American corporations. They can't actually presume that maybe it's Joe Biden's policies domestically that are causing the problems. It's, it's striking to see how people take one nugget of truth that has suddenly made big headlines so everyone's familiar with it, and then they start pulling out the smaller stories and weaving them together in a compelling story that isn't true but sounds true because the one nugget of truth is there. You're suddenly intimately familiar with it, and now using Bader-Meinhof, they start throwing these other stories at you and claiming they're all related, and you don't know enough to know. I mean, I, I the reason I really start this is, one, it's very clearly a conspiracy theory on the left, this profiteering thing, but it's the food shortages one. And I started looking into the into the food uh, producers catching on fire because I heard it on TV, too. It's like I had not heard this story. I should, I should look into the story. And it turns out, on average, 5,300 manufacturing and um, manufacturing and processing facilities catch fire every year. And I had no idea. And it turns out that in these cases, uh, in these cases, they actually, um, they're all explained. They're all accidents. And it's very, very common. But because you aren't aware of how common it is, the conspiracy theorists can fire up. And with the left, 
They hate corporations to begin with. They're perfectly willing to believe the bad thing. Because they're perfectly willing to believe the bad thing, and they're perfectly willing to blame anyone but themselves and their policies, they've concocted an elaborate conspiracy theory that very few in the media are even willing to call them out on because the media believes it too. One of the groups that's pushing back on all this nonsense is Patriot Mobile. They are a Christian conservative cell phone company. They actually give a portion of their profits to the conservative movement. They provide money to the conservative movement, uh, but they need you as a customer to, in order to do it. So I'm taking a fishing trip later today. Uh, I get off air, I pack my bag, I go fishing for the weekend. And where I'm headed, I have an AT&T cell phone and they don't get great reception there, but I've also got a Patriot Mobile account and they use different towers. They use the same towers everybody else uses, but you get to pick Verizon, AT&T, which ones do you want to use? And so I've got one of each with Patriot Mobile so that I'm never without cell phone coverage. They have incredible coverage across the nation. They use the towers that other people use. So you don't have to worry about your coverage. What you do is you go to PatriotMobile.com and you, you PatriotMobile.com slash Eric, you put my name in Eric and you get free activation. You can also call them 972-PATRIOT, 972-PATRIOT. Tell them I sent you. You get free activation. It's really easy online, though. They make it a streamlined process. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. Not only do you get great service, 5G data voice, you're partnering with a company that then uses its profits to help the conservative movement. So it's a great way to amplify your commitment to the causes you care about by using Patriot Mobile with great quality well-priced service as well. PatriotMobile.com slash Eric. This makes me happy. Welcome back. It's Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877 973 7425 877-973-7425. Norm McDonald shot a secret final Netflix stand-up special before he died. Uh, he did a self-shot on an iPhone, a stand-up routine. He got really sick. You know, he's battling cancer, and he never told anybody. How unlike the 21st century. He didn't overshare. He didn't tell anybody. Only his family knew. And he he had was having some surgery to deal with the issue, and he wasn't sure he was going to make it, so he shot a Netflix special. And... um. He did it on his iPhone. He did it in his living room. And they're going to release it uh, on Netflix. Um, this is, he died last summer at 61. He shot it, actually, it's a one hour. I said half hour, one hour stand-up special. Uh, they said the acclaimed Saturday Night Live actor, comedian, known for his deadpan delivery, was diagnosed with cancer in 2012. He kept it private. He was working on new material for a Netflix special. When he had to go to the hospital in the summer of 2020, his results were not good. So during COVID, he literally the night before going in for a procedure, got his stand-up routine on tape just in case things went south. In his words, it was intention, his intention to have a special to share. Well, um, things were okay at the time, so he didn't worry about it. And, um, well, then he declined and could not do the actual live special as intended. So they remembered he had done it in his home. He liked what he saw, and Netflix is going to release it. Norm MacDonald, Nothing Special, is going to come out on May 30th. Uh, it, it'll be the first in the world of comedy, a postmortem, last joke and testament from a comedian 
uh, who like to defy contention. So that's, I'm excited. Uh, Norm McDonald, his sense of humor is so great. I enjoy it. Also, I don't know if you heard, but the um, district attorney in Los Angeles is not going to charge with murder, attempted murder, or any felony. The man who tried to kill Dave Chappelle on stage, not making that up. Um, absolutely bizarre. Um, okay, uh, we got to move on. Uh, 877-973-7425. Should you wish to be a part of this year program? 